good to see you this morning, friends, as we begin this new series in the Apostles' Creed, uh, thinking about those foundational truths that we as Christians believe, along with Christians around the world, across denominations and throughout history. Why don't I pray and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray this morning that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that your spirit gives that we might live lives that are worthy of you, pleasing you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in our knowledge of you, the one and only God. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, Well, I've had a, a few days away this week on a a short break down the coast, which has been lovely. And so you'll be pleased to know that my first illustration is, of course, about me walking along the beach. Uh, I spent a lot of time walking on the beach this week, uh, staring out at the vastness of the ocean uh, and thinking about what it is we're about to do as we launch into this new series, thinking about the Apostles' Creed. And the thing is that as you walk along the beach, at least the beach that I was walking along, and you look out across this vast horizon of the ocean, it's all well and good while things are fine and the weather's nice. It's even helpful on those nice days to have certain landmarks that you can kind of pinpoint. You can see the town over to your right. Uh, You can see the pine trees that mark where the house is to your left. They're helpful landmarks to have as you walk, Uh, even more helpful landmarks to have as you swim to check that the current hasn't taken you too far left or right. And those landmarks, I think, become even more important when the clouds roll in, uh, when the wind picks up, when the waves start to crash. Uh, Those landmarks become important in the storms to make sure that you know you're on the right track, that you're in the right place, that you haven't been taken off course. And as we begin this series in the Apostles' Creed, we're thinking about a statement, a statement of belief that Christians have said from the very beginning that help give us landmarks, landmarks of what the Bible teaches about God, about us and his world, in order that as we go about life with the Bible as our authority, with the Bible as our guide, with the Bible as the rule by which we live, the Apostles' Creed and statements like it across the centuries have given Christians landmarks in order that we might know how to read the Bible and read the Bible well, in order that when the storms come in terms of thinking about who God is and what he's done in the Lord Jesus, we might not get blown too far off course. The Apostles' Creed have been great landmarks over the years to mark out for Christians what it is that we believe. As we navigate the Bible, which can be a a big and daunting book, we have the Apostles' Creed that sits alongside it, not as an authority over it, but as something that we use as a tool alongside it in order that we might know uh, what it is that we believe. Uh, One writer has said it like this, that the Apostles' Creed sums up in just over a 100 easily memorised words some, some, some essential Christian teaching. It tells us about the God we believe in, who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. It recounts the past, the present 
and the future of the story of our salvation. And it briefly highlights the blessings that we enjoy as believers, giving us a trustworthy summary of the faith as it's been passed down to us through the centuries from the early the earliest witnesses. The Apostles' Creed is that summary statement that Christians have been saying from the very beginning. You'll remember at Matthew 28, Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends into heaven, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name, the single name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as his disciples were obedient to that command and started um, proclaiming Jesus and baptizing believers and making disciples of all nations, that threefold name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, is the name into which Christians are baptized, are united, are initiated. And so from the beginning, it was that baptismal promise. The threefold name of God uh, that was the foundation for Christians to believe, uh, to believe and to be baptised. And so the Apostles' Creed came from the fact that as Jesus' disciples would baptise people, they would be asked at baptism, in whom do you believe? And here we have the, 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 the fuller version of that statement that I believe in God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And so we have this Apostles' Creed that has come to us from the very earliest witnesses and the form that we have, uh, we have records from as early as the 2nd and 3rd century, that this is how Christians have proclaimed the faith, the faith of the Lord Jesus from the Bible about the God in whom we believe from the very beginning. And so to confess the creed is to join our voices to countless Christians throughout the ages about the unchanging nature of God, about the unchanging and finished work of his son on our behalf, about the enormous blessings and the same hope that we look forward to. The hope that we look forward to now is the same hope that the very first Christians looked forward to, the eternal uh, joy of Jesus' kingdom when he returns and when he joins us into his perfect future. And so when we say the creed, we take, as someone has said, a very countercultural stance to stand upon something that is, is not new and fancy, but something that is ancient and solid. It's a statement with deep roots, with a long history, that when we say the creed, we are joining our voices to countless Christians throughout the ages to that humongous communal voice that calls out across the centuries. And we say not only do we belong to the God of the Bible, but that we belong to that one universal church, that we belong to that community that transcends time and space. It's important, I think, in a culture like ours that can be a little bit chronologically snobbish where we can think that only things that are new, only things that are shiny, only things that are innovative are of any worth. We stand to say the creed 
in a countercultural way that says, no, God is unchanging. What he's done in the Lord Jesus was finished and is finished. And the one certain hope that we have for the future is an unchanging and unshakable hope that doesn't change as the centuries pass. It stays the same. And so we begin the creed with that. Uh, we're, we're just going to jump in and think about the very first line of the creed with the, very f- the first four words, I believe in God. And uh, you might think that it's not particularly countercultural to stand up and to start something with our culture's favourite word, that is I. That it's, our culture is obsessed with ourselves. We're obsessed with, with what we feel and what we think and what we want and what we desire. But the creed begins with the, 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 the single word, the single letter, I. And many Christians throughout the years have said that this is a little bit of a self-centred way to begin a statement. And so there's been a wrestle over the last few hundred years about whether or not we should say the word we when it comes to the Apostles' Creed. But this is a picture, I think, of a a few different things. One is that that to believe in God, to trust in the Lord Jesus, is a very personal thing. That It's your responsibility to make a decision for Jesus. It's your responsibility to say that I have placed my individual faith in him. That he died for me. That he rose again to give me new life. And so when you're baptised into the Christian faith, it's important, I think, to say I. That this is my God. Jesus is my Lord. He is my Saviour. He has given me new life. But even more than that, uh, as Augustine wrote in the 4th century, saying that when we say the word I, when it comes to something like the creed or reading the Psalms, it's not that we're, we're being individualistic. It's that we all together add our collective voices to be that singular one mind and one voice declaring the one true faith in God. When we say I and we stand to say the creed and say I, it's not that we're individualistic. It's that we're adding our singular voices to the one true faith. I believe. And right there in that response of saying that we believe, we're not saying that there's anything that we need to achieve when it comes to our knowledge of God, that there's nothing that we need to achieve when it comes to our standing before him or our eternal hope but it's something that we respond to. We're responding to what God has done for us. We're responding to God's initiative. We're responding to who it is that he's revealed himself to be. We're responding to his work in history to secure our forgiveness and our salvation and acknowledging that we come to the Lord Jesus as an act of faith. We come with empty hands. We come with humble hearts saying that there, there, there is nothing that I can achieve, there's nothing that I can do to achieve my standing before God, but I simply believe. 
I receive what he has done on my behalf. The Christian life is always a life of response. It's not a life of achievement. When we think about faith, often we think about um, uh, faith being something that we conceive of in our own brains some kind of intangible idea that you can't quite pin down but you can only experience. We can think of faith in the kind of Indiana Jones sense of taking that leap of faith, that step out in the dark, not knowing if something or someone will catch you. But the Bible says that that's not what faith is. That faith isn't blindly putting your trust in in someone despite the evidence. Faith is about objectively and firmly grounding yourself in the promises of God. Faith is about responding to who God has said himself to be and what he has said he will do. Faith is about having confidence in the God who has spoken, the God who has made himself known. The very next verse in our Hebrews reading for next week says that now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That no one has ever seen God but we can be certain about who he is. We can be certain about what he has done because he has made himself known. He has spoken. He has revealed himself to the world in his word and in his son. That's how we can be sure. That's how we can know that our confidence is in the right place. It's because God has spoken to make himself known. And so once again, we're not claiming when we say the creed, we're not claiming that when we, when we believe in God that we have somehow puzzled our way to him. That we've looked around and we've worked out who God must be and what he must be like. When we say in the creed that I believe in God, we're saying that we believe in the God who has revealed himself, the God who has spoken in his word and in his son to make himself crystal clear. In the reading that we've had from um, the book of Acts, uh, when Paul stands up in Athens to address the Areopagus, when he's addressing very religious people, he says, people who have sensed, like most people in most places at most times in history, that there is more to life than what you see around you. God says that he has uh, written eternity in our hearts, that we uh, are built to know the God who made us and the God who loves us. There is an innate, There is an innate kind of bias in human people that we we reach out for the divine and so in every culture in every place in every time of history people have set up religions people have 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 sought to give some kind of expression to the fact that there is more to this world than the things that we can see but when we try to puzzle it out ourselves our instinct is to create things to create gods that kind of have some kind of reflection of the things that we can see and taste and touch and feel, right? And so we create idols that end up looking like objects of creation or we, we create mirrors to worship ourselves. 
But what we need because of our, our sinful hearts and our, the idol factory that is within us, we need the true God, the God who made us and who loves us, the God who wants to have a relationship with his people. We need him to speak. We need him to make himself known to us, which the Bible says he has done in his word and in his son. This is what Paul says when he stands up to speak to the Areopagus. Have a look at chapter uh, Acts 17, verse 23. He says, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very things that you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So here was this picture in Athens that this religious culture that had so many different gods even set up an altar to the unknown god. They set it up out of fear. They set it up out of ignorance. They set it up thinking, what if we've got it wrong? What if there's a god that we've missed and they're particularly kind of powerful or important? Let's just set up another altar to worship a god, an unknown god, just the just-in-case god. Right, And Paul, what, what Paul proclaims to them is that picture of uh, humanity's uh, attempts at knowing God which always falls back to what we can do for God. And so he goes on, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Whenever you travel around the world and you see different temples and different altars and you see the different idols that human hearts create, they always have an element of having to provide a house for that God, a place for it to dwell. And sacrifices that you need to bring to that God, food and 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 objects of value and you place them there in order that you might serve that God, you you might provide for that God and in return that God will treat you well. But as we've seen, as we've travelled through the book of Genesis, the God of the Bible is very different to that. Rather than humanity needing to to create a place for God to dwell in, God says, no, I will create a place for you to dwell in. You don't need to provide me a home. I will provide you with a home. And you don't need to bring food and objects to me, but I will give you food. I will give you the world. I will give you what you need. I'll provide for your needs, you don't provide for me. To misappropriate those words from history, you ask not what you can do for God, but ask what God has done for you. That's the picture that the Bible gives us, which takes us back to where we started. That's why the Christian life is one of response, not one of achievement. The Christian life is one of responding to God's initiative, to his character, to his provision. 
We respond to him by receiving from him all that he is and all that he's done. And so as God progressively reveals himself in his word and in his son, Christians come to that unavoidable teaching, that unavoidable conclusion that there is one God overall who is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so as Christians down through the ages have had to wrestle with that truth, how do we put our confidence in the God who has spoken? How do we articulate his identity and who he is, what it is that we're putting our confidence in? How do we hold together the the truth, the reality that this one God exists in three persons, that Jesus is both God and man? How do we understand Jesus' uh, eternal divine nature and yet his very earthly human nature at the same time? Well, that's where the creeds have always come in to help Christians, to give very clear articulation to the truth that we might not fully understand all the time. But we know that God has revealed himself to be. And so we stand, not saying that we have comprehended in all its fullness, but that we trust and we believe and we receive what God has said. We believe that there is one God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. And when we stand to say that we believe in this God, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we stand to say that this God, this this God in whom we believe, is the one who has our allegiance. The one who we are placing who, who we are placing our lives in. We are trusting with our life and with our death. This is what Paul goes on to say in verse twenty six of Acts seventeen. He says that from one man this God made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from any one of us for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, Here is the picture of response, of belief. What does this belief mean? Does it mean that we simply tick the box, that we've come to church on Sunday, that we've said, yep, I'm going to tip my hat to the fact that I believe in God? No, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. But in the past, verse 30, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. When you affirm the faith of the creed, the faith of the Bible, putting your trust in the God who is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, it's about shaping your life around that universal truth, about that foundational reality. It's saying that this is, the, is, this is the view of the world that will shape all my decisions, that will shape all my allegiances, that will shape where I place my confidence for today and tomorrow and for eternity. And so it leads to a change of mind and a change of heart 
and a change of direction for your life. And Paul says that Jesus, that God commands everyone everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed and he's given proof of this by raising him from the dead. All those truths that God is the loving ruler and creator, that he has made himself known in his word and in his son, that he calls people to repentance for the forgiveness of sins because of the day that he will judge the living and the dead, looking forward to that final day when he will raise all people, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting death. All these truths are contained in that summary statement that is the Apostles' Creed. And so when we say that we believe, when we stand to say together, to add our voices to all those throughout the ages who have stood to confirm and affirm the fact that we believe in one God, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do so with great confidence that this God has spoken, that this God has acted, that he is thoroughly trustworthy. And so this is what we're going to pin our hope to. This is what we're going to build our lives upon. This is what we're going to proclaim to the nations. Friends, why don't we stand together this morning as we say the creed. And if you're someone who has believed in the God of the Bible, who's made himself known as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, I invite you to add your, your voice to the countless voices across time and across space who have said in the gathering of God's people that this is what I believe. Saying together, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen.